listening to On the Couch with Carly. Carly's Couch is a safe space to talk. I'm a psychologist, but I'm not your pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing stereotype. Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Couch with Carly. I would like to do a kind of smaller, more condensed session today, or yeah, just a little bit of a a Q&A in a way, because I have opened up some questions to my Instagram followers about what they would like to hear, what you would like to hear from me on this podcast. And I got some really interesting suggestions. And so I thought I would just go ahead and do um, an episode based on your interests. And hopefully it will be um, yeah, interesting to everyone and useful. I'm going to start with the very first question on relationships, which I think is an interesting one. Essentially, the question is discuss attachment styles and how this predicts how we choose romantic partners. I think that's really interesting. Um, I have mentioned before that I work a lot with attachment theory, that I strongly believe in the benefits and the, the merit of attachment theory. It's probably the most scientifically sound theory that psychology has to offer. Huge amount of research being done and and a lot of predictability. So what that means is that it's sound science. It's not just correlational data. We have actual evidence to show that that the, the whole theory of attachment and attachment styles is actually real and legitimate and can predict a lot about us as human beings. So let me first tell you a little bit about that. So basically, when um, it was, I think, in the 60s that the first um, theor- theorist around attachment theory, the, the father of attachment theory came up with his theory, that was John Bowlby. And he, I'm not going to tell you the full story about how he came up with it, but basically he came up with this idea that there are three different attachment styles. And when you see a child as young as 18 months, you can you can determine what that child's attachment style is already based on interactions with that child's primary caregiver, which in those days was predominantly the mother. And once you've determined what their attachment style is, they've now taken that, that research even further, you can actually predict what their attachment style will be when they are adults. And there is huge significance. So it means that we really can feel assured that we can predict what kinds of relationships you're going to be in when you're older based on what kind of attachment style you you have when you're a toddler, which is really scary, actually, especially for parents. <laughs> what you do in the first two years of your child's life has massive significance to how they are going to be for the rest of their lives, um, how they feel about themselves how they see the world around them and how they interact with people and particularly in inter, in interpersonal relationships, intimate relationships. So the question about romantic relationships is a really interesting one. There's, there, there's a blog post on my blog, which I wrote, I can't remember when I wrote it, but I also did a vlog answering the question, why do we stay in bad relationships? And I think this question sort of, I do think it has some relevance to the to the question I'm dealing with today, which is, you know, what does it mean 
if I have this tendency in relationships? Like, is it about me as a person? Is it about my attachment style? Is it impossible to break free of that attachment style? You know, if this is, if I know that this is my attachment style, will I always end up with these kinds of relationships? Or can I in some way have some agency and, and empower myself to make different choices at some point? And I think all of these questions are really useful. And, um, you know, the bottom line is, yes, you can shift your attachment style or you can work with your attachment style to such a degree that you will shift your patterns of relating. But I believe you could only do that when you have mastered self-reflection and that can only be achieved if you're in long-term therapy. And but let me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me, let me just be a bit more strategic about how I introduce this topic. So as I mentioned, attachment theory is the theory that we um, form attachment relationships to our primary caregivers. The attachments that we have with our caregivers are the most significant relationships in our lives. They will always be the most significant because they form our brains. They essentially, as our brains are developing, those relationships is what informs our understanding of the world, of ourselves and of relationships in general. So we talk about our attachment styles being something like a blueprint and that blueprint is almost completely set up and already laid down by the time you're two with some opportunities to shift until the age of five. By five, it's almost done. There's no, there's no chance of creating a different attachment style. However, there are wonderful stories where, where children who have been adopted or children that have had a, a very difficult beginning to life actually can be amazingly offered a, another opportunity to, to form trusting, healthy relationships. And essentially that is the, the job of attachment is to create security for the child. And what does create security? It's trust, availability, attunement. So there's three attachment styles that will be referred to. The first one is secure attachment. And that would be a relationship that's based on predictability. When I have a need, I know that I can express my need and you, the caregiver, will be available to meet my need. And if not, you will do your best to try and meet my need. And in the moments when you don't meet my need, you will repair with me so that I feel like you're trying to do better. You know, that there's there's an, there's, a, there's an understanding that, oh, I missed that. I'm really sorry. I'll get it right next time. There's that intentionality to always be there, to, to be available, to be present. And this does not mean that you have to be physically available for your child 24-7. All it means is that when you are with your child, that you are noticing them, you're observing them, you're watching what they're going through, and you have the capacity to understand their mind as separate from your mind. So that's a big concept that's only been developed later on in the history of attachment theory. And that is the idea of mentalizing. So being, some people call it the theory of mind, being able to hold in your mind the idea that this person is separate and has their mind and their thoughts and their ideas and they're different from yours. So let's, let's just talk about secure attachment. So secure attachment is by far the most common, I think. I think that's safe to say. It's the, it's, the, it's the default, it's the standard, which is that 
parents have children, they look after their children, they're available, they're attentive, they care for their children. Um, when their children are sad, they hug their children. When their children hurt themselves, they they pick them up and comfort them. When their children have um, worries or, or fears, they reassure their children. They hold space for their children to feel afraid. They let them climb into bed with them on, on when it's th- a thunderstorm or whatever it may look like, you know, that there's that space for a range of emotions to be felt and the, the parent is available to meet those those moments. In circle of security, we refer to there being this idea of the circle. Um, and so under that definition, security is established because you are allowing your child, you're supporting your child as they explore, they're going out on the circle. So they're leaving you. So you have to tolerate separation and tolerate the fear, your own fears around them being out in the world and exploring. And you have to support them and and encourage them and welcome them coming back to you. So that's at the bottom of the circle when they return to you, often when they're feeling unhappy or sad or uh, worried or hurt or something out there in the world has upset them and they need comfort and they come back. And that, that children are constantly going in these circles, the circle of security, going out and coming in. And if you manage these needs all around the circle, the need to to help your child, to be with your child when they're exploring, the need to um, have comfort when they're feeling sad, etc., then your child will most likely be securely attached. Securely attached children turn into securely attached adults. So nothing really changes there. They probably um, are quite, I guess, I guess what you would say is they are, they are confident in themselves. So they, a securely attached child will become a confident adult, will go out into the world feeling fairly assured that they can manage life's difficulties. They kind of, they're quite trusting. They believe that people have good intentions. They watch people and understand people's cues based on their body language and etc. So they have a good reading of people and they can understand when people are dangerous and when people are safe. And generally speaking, and there's no kind of hard and fast rule because I do believe that we all have to experiment in relationships. Not everyone does. Some people meet their person in high school and it's their first boyfriend and they end up marrying that person and stay with them forever. And that's that's their journey. But I do think a lot of people go on a journey in relationships and, and often have immature relationships when they're younger and then go through a stage where they might have even bad relationships that they have to realize, okay, this is not what I want in a relationship until they find the person that they will actually end up with. So it's not to say that every relationship will be consistently amazing all the time, but generally speaking, these people will, securely attached individuals will find relationships, will not be frightened in relationships, will will feel relatively comfortable in relationships, and will generally find partners who are also pretty like comfortable in relationships. They don't, they don't, they're not afraid to be close to people. And they're also, you know, not particularly clingy or needy or um, have weird ideas about closeness. They, they can handle closeness and separations generally. That's generally the, the story around secure attachment. And, and some people might say secure attachment sounds quite boring. Like it's just, it's just sort of like getting along with it. It's getting on with it. 
not much dramatics there. Of course, life is always dramatic, but generally speaking, securely attached is a kind of like middle of the road. We're just getting along. This is we're just making this work, and it and it and it works because we're both actually not difficult. It's 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 relatively easy. Obviously, there's huge very huge variations. I'm painting with very broad brushstrokes here. That's the one type of attachment. Then there is, according to Bowlby, as an infant, if we're looking at if we're looking at the child, there's two types of insecure attachment. They don't call it insecure attachment, but that's there's two types. Um, roughly speaking, there's a third, but I'm not going to go into that. It's I'll get to it, but yeah. The first is avoidant attaches. So if you're an avoidant child, that means that you have learned that your caregiver is not available and not attentive and is actually distant, is actually um, not, not going to rush to you when you're hurt or not going to grab you and put, put their arms around you when you're feeling sad. And so what you've learned as, a, as an infant, we're talking about babies as young as nine months here, what you've learned is that you have to swallow your feelings. You, you hide your feelings. You don't talk about how you need things or you don't demonstrate or um, you, you are not making a, a big show of your needs. And so those infants will usually be quite quiet. People say, oh, they're so well-behaved, so, so well-behaved. They don't cry. They don't make a lot of noise. They kind of self-soothe a lot. Very, very, very good at self-soothing. Um, incredibly self-reliant. And what their message is, is to the world is, I don't need you. That's the message they give. So as infants, they don't really cry a lot. They don't really ask for assistance. They're not, they're not putting their hands up to get uppies. You know, those, those babies are quite, they just they kind of miscuing their parents the whole time by saying, we're good, I don't need you, I'm good. Which of course we know is not true. All infants are dependent. All infants need their, their caregivers. But these, they, these infants have learned they're not going to get their needs met that way. So they're going to rather just avoid closeness. And avoidant babies become dismissive adult attachers. So that's a new category for when you're an adult and you are... One of those people that will, this is, this is obviously, again, stereotyping and generalizing, but one of those people that will tell you, I'm just focusing on my career. I don't have time for relationships. I don't really want a boyfriend. Who has time for, you know, who, I don't really have time for a, a girlfriend right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good on my own. And they often are people who are incredibly hardworking, incredibly successful, um, often have very nice things and and have like a life that looks really put together, right? They stay very neat, very organized. And and their their whole attachment style is pushing you away, dismissive. They dismiss their needs. They dismiss the urgency of their of their feelings. And so if you get in a relationship with someone who's a dismissive attacher, they'll kind of make you feel like you're a little bit alone in the relationship. They won't really come to the party in, the, in, in a sense. They, they, they find it really threatening to show you that they are incredibly needy 
or have desires or or needs or whatever they they would rather they would rather you know you not see that part of them that 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 is way too vulnerable and exposing so they put on a show of i'm so i'm self-reliant i'm good i don't need anyone i'm fine just the way i am okay the third type is um in the at the infant age is called um it's called uh, ambivalence. Sorry, I just forgot my words. The, th- the third type is ambivalent. An ambivalent infant is one whose parenting has been unpredictable. So for if, if it's a case of a mom, if the, par- if the primary caregiver is mom, mom is someone who is sometimes incredibly present and amazing and will probably have moments of really um, excitable bonding experiences. So mom will come home one day and be incredibly loving and want to spoil you and take you out and do something really fun and exciting and it'll be like super cool and amazing. But then on other times, she'll be in her room depressed and you you can't get anything from her. And this is what we see often with kids who've got um, depressive moms or bipolar moms but yes, unfortunately, personality disordered moms or caregivers, we see this a lot. So that's that unpredictability, that sense of sometimes I'm here for you and then sometimes I'm not. And you can't rely on me to be there for you. And so there's this sense of instability. There's this sense of um it's it's not it's not clear what what the expectation is what i what i can expect from the world and so my life is unpredictable and i have to um i have to i have to somehow manage this and so it comes with a lot of anxiety and we in fact i think that i think that bolby initially called this an anxious attachment and that is where there's this sense of ambivalence and anxiety of of I, i'm 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 looking forward to your presence like i i want you close i'm looking forward to closeness but then when you're there i'm not sure if i can rely on you i'm not sure if i can really fall into this i lean into this so i get scared and i i'm halfway in halfway out and that predicts the behavior in adulthood, which we which we describe, or the style, attachment style in adulthood, which we describe as a preoccupied attacher. So, if you had an ambivalent or an anxious attachment when you were when you were little, then it's very likely that you will have a preoccupied attachment style as an adult. And a preoccupied attachment style is, in very similar ways to as an as an as an infant, um, it looks like very unstable, unpredictable. So um, sometimes I'm super keen on having a relationship and I'm like putting all my energy into making this relationship work. And I get almost like obsessive and some, you know, some people get very clingy and very dependent. And if you know, if you're not, if you don't reply to my texts within 30 minutes, you don't love me and I'll divorce you. And, you know, that sort of like really... Like, I need you, need you, need you, need you, need you feelings. And then 
at the same time when closeness is achieved and here I have you, you're available to me, I can, I can lean on you, 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 you're showing me that you're here, I push back against you and I, I don't know what to do with this availability. I'm nervous, I'm scared, I don't know if I can rely on it, I don't know if I can trust that it's actually predictable, that, I, that it's there, that it's going to be... Um, that it's going to be there tomorrow. So I freak out a little bit and I actually act out. It's often the case. I act out and I try and push you away because I'm still so insecure that I don't know how to rely on this unless I test it. And so I push back against you and I test the limits and I'm trying to like, you know, prove that you don't really love me by behaving badly so that you'll say, I'm sorry, I'm not here for this. And then I'll, and then I'll prove, prove myself right and be like, you see, you didn't love me after all. You know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so if any of this is sounding familiar to you, like that's really interesting. And I would be really shocked if none of it was familiar to you because we're talking about really kind of if you, we're talking about splitting humanity into three categories. And, and I'm not really one to split humanity into any categories. I don't really love that. But I really believe in attachment theory. So I think, you know, these are broad brushstrokes and the, there is absolute, you know, inf- infinite nuance and texture within these categories. Um, but these are very, very, very um, rudimentary explanations of these three types of relationship styles. Now, what's really interesting is who ends up with who? <laughs> I said earlier that um, that the that the securely attached people usually um, end up with securely attached people. That's, I would say, I mean, I don't know if there's any stats out there about this, but I would say that's a general rule of thumb is that mostly attachment, secure attached, secure attachment predicts secure attachment. So you you generally you generally will be at- attracted to people who are also securely attached. And obviously within secure attachment there can be sometimes securely attached individuals who have aspects of preoccupation or securely attached individuals who are slightly avoidant. And so it's really interesting to look at yourself that there might be moments in your life where you slightly avoidant or preoccupied depending on what the context is or depending on what the triggers are. So sometimes sometimes you might have had a trauma and that affected you in terms of your attachment relationship. So let's say you were securely attached, but then your parent passed away. And so you have a trauma around attachment um, or around relationships. And that might mean that there is a little bit more avoidance in your style than another person who didn't experience that trauma. So obviously, there's, as I said, lots of nuance here. But what's really interesting for me is that the fascinating thing I find is how many couples I see, particularly in therapy, who are the fantastic combination of preoccupied and dismissive together. And that is really interesting. So I'm not going to go hugely into depth around this because there's actually so much to be said for it. And I'm not actually smart enough to know all of these things. I mean, I I think it's incredible like psychodynamic theory that would that would elucidate this much better. And maybe I should read up on this and come back to you about it. But um, I can tell you very kind of almost, you know, in layman's terms what this means. But the idea that one partner is a little bit avoidant, a little bit 
pushing away, like keeping distance. Um, and the other partner is a little bit on the clingy side, kind of wanting more, wanting more. Somehow those two end up together. <laughs> and of course, it's like a really bad combination because the more I um, pull away from you, the more you cling on to me. And the more you cling on to me, the freak, more freaked out I get and I pull away. What's really interesting is that I think all of all of us, whether whatever attachment style we have, all of us intrinsically have a need for attachment. We all have emotional needs and we all need those needs to be met. And our attachment styles refer more to our defensive structure. It, 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 it refers more to how we defend against those needs, how we try to push back against um, the need, you know, or the, the fear around those needs not being met. So in the case of a, of a dismissive attacher, their protective style, their, the, the way they have armored themselves up against the world that has not met their needs is they, they are essentially saying to the world, I don't need you. I don't need anything. I'm fine on my own. I can do all of this on my own. And when it comes to the preoccupied attacher, their um, armor that they've used or their, the, the way they've found success um, to manage and navigate in a world where their needs have not been met is to be half and half out. They, they are in themselves not really sure. And so, and so they, they think the way to be safe is to, is to somehow be all in or all out and nothing in between. So they do a kind of black and white relating, if you will, like an all or nothing relating. And you'll see that in their thinking. You can see how they go from you're either the best or you're the worst. I either love you or you, I don't want to see you. And, and that, that sort of switch from one pole to the other is their attempt to have some sense of um, mastery over their emotions and their experiences, which feel to them like that, like big ups and downs. But the, the thing about the preoccupied attaches is that when they're on, when they're looking for love, when they're showing you they need you, they are seductive, they are romantic, they are um, exciting, they make a big show of what it is that they're, that they're into about you. And it can be incredibly um, alluring. And then at some point, they get frightened or they um, don't feel in control or they, um, they predict a rejection. They're very rejection sensitive. So they predict a rejection and they decide, they do that classic thing of I'll reject you first before you reject me and they push you away. And I think that dismissive attachment attaches tend to go for preoccupied attaches because they they act out the whole spectrum of the dance and the dismissive attaches don't have to do anything. They can sit back and these their partner does the whole song and dance and and but because there's this deep 
need underneath the preoccupation. The dismissive attacher gets to have their closeness, but they get to have their closeness in like doses. They get like dosed with it. So it doesn't have to be a permanent state. Yeah, I just think that's really interesting. I don't know if I've explained myself well. It's quite a complicated concept. But all I really want to leave you with today is just the idea that we do choose people based on their attachment styles. Our attachment styles are actually defensive effort that we've that we put into coping with managing difficulties in relationships that were that happened to us when we were very little when we had no way of dealing with our needs not being met other than demonstrating that we don't need anyone or creating this like bouncing um push pull dynamic where I'm here and I'm not and I'm here and I'm not and then that gets carried on through later life so I think maybe what you would want to know now and, and, and what people always ask is like, what is like, when do I know it's like a, a real no-go? You know, when do I know this is, this is not going to work? I, I cannot be with this person or, you know, I need to, I need to get help for myself or for them if, if this is going to work. And, you know, I think, really think about reflective abilities. So does your partner notice what they're doing in in the relationship do they ask themselves what like how comfortable they are with closeness and separations and when they're uncomfortable do they notice that they're uncomfortable and can they verbalize oh this made me feel uncomfortable that's why i responded that way if they have that ability if they can read your mind sometimes and say things like oh i'm really sorry that must have made you feel really scared those are really good signs that this person has got an ability to mentalize and that their attachment style, although may have little edges of preoccupation or dismiss or being dismissive, um, does not mean that they are have insecure attachment, okay? But if you're feeling unsafe, if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling like this person is actually incapable of making you feel safe and secure, or if you feel like you yourself are constantly feeling afraid of closeness, that your partner is offering you closeness, but you don't know how to trust it, or you pushing away from them and you don't know why, you can't just accept their love and accept um, their, that the fact that they're available and caring of you, then I think those are also really important things to bring into therapy. And when... When I talk about therapy for attachment styles, there's no fix here. There's no like, oh, I can fix you in two days and make you into a securely attached individual. This is not the case, okay? These are blueprints of our brains. This is how our brains have been, how our brains are designed. This is, this very much predicts your behavior. Over years of therapy, you might be able to work out how to predict your your own reactions to things so that you can work within your attachment style to understand why certain things may trigger you in relationships and why closeness or separations are difficult for you and how you have to act in accordance with those difficulties in order to manage that better. Because there are ways that we can manage it. And essentially, it's about braving the things we're afraid of, right? It's about you know, like Brene Brown always talks about, like risking that vulnerability, showing up and saying, even though this makes me afraid, even though this feels really risky, I'm going to do it anyway. And the only way to rework our attachment styles is to be in 
secure relationships, trusting, consistent, available, predictable relationships with other people. And then we can actually start to rely on the idea that there is such a thing as someone who is there to meet our needs, that there is such a thing as someone who will do their best. And if they mess up, they will repair with you and that they will foster closeness as much as possible, that they will share in your experiences, good and bad. Um, that's what you need in order to right those, um, I don't want to say right those wrongs, but to mediate those difficulties from the past. I hope this has been helpful and um, I do feel like I've waffled a bit, but I hope that it's been helpful and please send me your messages if you have any further questions. Um, let's get into this. We can discuss it. Uh, when I share it on my Instagram, you can post lots of comments and we can, we can continue the conversation there. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. This podcast is recorded at Edible Audio in Cape Town, South Africa. Edited by Edible Audio. Original music by Alex Smiley.